Good morning, everybody. How are you guys today? Good. I'm doing well. Thanks for asking. Uh, man, I have to tell you, I almost missed my cue. I'm like, oh, that, I'm all wrapped up in that song. To our God, we lift up one voice. We are, I've been reading in Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, in my own devotional times this week, and I come across chapter four where it talks about there's one uh, faith, one hope, one Lord, one baptism, one God and Father who is in all and over all and through all. And he draws us all together. And I don't know, sometimes you ever get in a spot during the worship time where you're just like, hey, this is who God is. And oh, wait, I have a job to do. <laughs> Maybe you don't, but I do sometimes. That was today. So uh, thanks to our music team for leading us today. Uh, hey, let's pray together. Then we're going to jump into scripture, okay? Father in heaven, thank you for uh, all that you do in us and all you do for us, all you're seeking to do through us. Thank you for those things. Lord, thank you that you bring us together as one. What a remarkable thing it is that in a group of disparate people, uh, coming from all kinds of different backgrounds and experiences and circumstances, you bring us all together and you call us one. You call us your body. One group, one church. So thank you for that. Lord, thank you. Here at Lakeside, we meet together in five different gatherings, and yet we are one body. And around the world today, we are meeting in hundreds of thousands or millions of locations in this thing called church, but we are one together. So thank you for that. That is by your power, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. So thank you. We worship you. We praise you together. And in the next few minutes, we ask that you would be shaping us molding us to be the kind of people that you want us to be. We are your followers, Father, through Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, so uh, let's talk about the mission at Lakeside a little bit. You know the mission. If you've been here very long, you know the mission of Lakeside. If you're newer, it's right up there. We have cheat sheets for you that kind of help you out. So, um, and I don't know if it's better for me to ask you to say it or me to say it for you. Give you a try? Okay, you go ahead. I mean, y'all, 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 not just you. Yeah, y'all. This is Lakeside South. <laughs> that was pretty good. After a slow start, you kind of got locked in. That's pretty good. I like it. Okay, yeah, so that's the deal. It's transformation. That's the mission we're on together, transformation, to become like Jesus, to become passionate, which means filled with faith and, and productive, which means fruit-bearing. It's like something is happening in our lives and something is happening through our lives into the lives of the people around us uh, in the name of Jesus. That's what we're shooting for here at Lakeside Church. And my great desire in that is that that would be true in you, that that transformation process, that that would be true in you, that God would be having a hold of your heart, that he would be having a hold of your head and your mind, that he would have a hold on your spirit, they would have a hold on your neighborhood through you, that everything in your life would come under the lordship of Jesus Christ, and you, would, and you would be able not only to say, but to live out, I am a passionate and productive follower of Jesus, and I'm becoming like him. That would be amazing. And that's my desire for you. That's my desire for the people in your oikos. It, uh, that's a word we use a lot at Lakeside. If you're newer with us, it's a, it's a Greek word. It means household or extended family or network. And I want to see everybody in your oikos, in that network, maybe 8 to 15 people that God has put in the front row of your life, 
Are they becoming transformed as a follower of Jesus? And some of the people that are in your oikos are already followers of Jesus, and they're growing up, and you're helping them. And you guys are, you know, rubbing elbows together, and you're moving forward in your life with Christ together. And there are some people in your oikos that are not yet followers of Jesus. And I'm hoping that they are, they cross the line of faith at some point, and they go, Jesus, I want to walk with you wherever they are in that journey today. And I want that for me. My, I, you know, I don't do this Christian thing because I get paid to do it. I follow Jesus because I love him and I want to serve him. And he's called me to do the things that I do here at Lakeside. But in my home, in my neighborhood, in my oikos, I want the same things. I want Christ to be formed and shaped in me. And I know that as we go through that process, every one of us is on a different place in that journey. Every single one of us. There are no identical twins in the journey of Christ. We all are walking at our own pace and in our own path to get toward him. And so part of my responsibility, I think, is to help you find that path and be on it and to stay on it. And so it's interesting because when you look at the path, to become more like Jesus Christ, it's, it's not the obvious path. Nobody just goes, oh, this is what it's like, and they just do it. It's, it's different than what we would expect. And even if you go through some of the more well-known passages of Scripture that describe that path, when you land on them, you may, you may at first go, oh, I recognize that one. And then you might go, when we describe it a little bit, you might go, oh, that's not exactly what I thought it was going to, it was going to bring me to. So, for example, one of the verses that some of you will know is found in, in uh, the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. It says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one can boast. And you go, yeah, 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 I know that. And you go, it's all by grace. And I'm like, yes, it's all by grace. And it's not because you work so hard for it. And nobody can boast. Nobody's going to ever come to the throne of God someday in heaven and go, I arrived by my own power. Thank you very much. It doesn't happen that way. It's a gift from God. It's a gift that he gives to you, which means to get there, you have to lower yourself. You have to lower yourself to receive a gift from God. And, and, you know, a lot of us would go, oh, yeah, it's easy to receive a gift from God. We like receiving presents. Yeah, but not always when you have to humble yourself to take it. Not when you have to say, oh, it's, I'm not God, but God is God. That becomes harder. And we have to lower ourselves to take it. See, if you, if you want to be like Jesus, you have to go lower. Lower than you thought. Lower than the world wants to go. The path to transformation is always only lower. Or 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, another fairly well-known verse. It says, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just or righteous, and he will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And we're like, yeah, that's what we want. Those of us who are followers of Jesus, that's what I want. I want to be forgiven. I want to be cleansed. I want to be made righteous. That's what I want. And our room is full of people that go, that's what I want. Okay, great. But to get there, you have to confess your sins. Go ahead, you first. <laughs> yeah, because that's not that easy. And see, to get to the place where you go, oh, Jesus, he, he forgives me and, and he, makes me unri- he makes me righteous. He purifies me from unrighteousness. To get there, I have to confess my sins. Even to God, it's never comfortable to confess your sins. I mean, there's no line for confession. 
And if you have to confess your sins to one another, that's hard. If, even if you have to confess your sins to God, even if you think he's filled with grace, that's hard. I have to acknowledge this is who I really am. And you find out that the path of transformation is always only lower. If you want to be like Jesus, go lower. Or another scripture that we're going to come to this morning, it's found in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6. Uh, Peter writes this, he says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. Humble yourself. And that's, that involves going lower, because the path to transformation is always only lower. And if you want to be like Jesus, go lower, lower than you thought, lower than the world would tell you to go. Go lower. And if you want to become a passionate and productive follower of Jesus, and you want to see that transformation in your life, that's the path we have to be on. Now, we have spent the summer talking about one person who has become a passionate and productive follower of Jesus years and years and years ago. His name is Peter. He was one of Jesus' original disciples, one of his original followers. And when Jesus ascended into heaven, he commissioned this man and some of his friends to be apostles, to be missionaries. This man's name is Peter. He was one of Jesus' first disciples, and he, and, uh, he became well-known through history. And so we've been enjoying, I think, kind of looking through his life and looking through the letters that he wrote to describe, this is what it looks like to follow Christ. And it's been, uh, I'm probably going to have to apologize to Peter when I get to heaven, because we've made fun of him a little too much over the summer. And so I'm um, going to try and take a different swing at his life today as we look at his life and his letters again. But we're going we're to spend most of our time today in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 9. So if you have a Bible and you want to follow along with this, uh, pull it out and open to that. 1 Peter chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the chair near you. You're welcome to reach one of those and, and take it. You're welcome, you're welcome to take it and have it. Uh, if you've got a smartphone, you can check out that. We're using the Version app in, the, in, the, in your smartphone, and we've got notes in there for you. We put, pulled the scripture out and put it right in there for you, so take advantage of that if that's helpful to you. Or you can just listen. All right, 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 1, Peter writes this. To the elders among you, I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you're willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves therefore under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. 
There's one description in that passage. There's one description of what it looks like to be transformed as a passionate and productive follower of Jesus. And Peter lays out some pathways for us, regardless of who we are. He says, here's a bunch of different uh, groups that might find this pathway to following Jesus. So the first group that he writes to is the group called elders. And if you've been hanging around church very much, uh, you might think, oh, that's, that's the, like the board of the church, the, the, the spiritual mucky mucks of the church. That's the one he's talking to, the elders. So there's a path for elders. And that may be, there may be some sense in which he's speaking to the leaders of the church. Look, shepherd God's flock that is under your care. And I want you to shepherd them this way. But it might not just be talking to this, this small group of people that are officially elders. It might be talking to anybody who's, who's an elder. In fact, literally the word that he uses is just a simple comparative word. It's not a fancy word. It's not like a, a church business word or something like that. It's just a comparative word. Uh, it literally means older man or older person. So, he's, so he says, here's a pathway for you who are older. How many of you are older? Some of you put that hand up really fast. Like, you've thought about this before. Like, I'm old. You, uh, no, no. Hmm. Let's do, do, oh, double older. Nye, okay, fine. Uh, here's the deal. There's only one person in the room right now who's not an elder. And that is the youngest person in the room. Everybody else, comparatively speaking, is older. Right, so you all get in. You who are in your 20s think, I got a long time to go. You are older than somebody. Well, just I, get used to it, you know? Because see, I remember when I was a child, I remember, I don't know how, I was, how old I was, five or six years old, something like that. And I remember my family had another family that we hung out with, and they had a son who was 11. And he wouldn't hang out with me because I'm like five or six. He's, he's like 11. He, and I thought, I'll never make it to 11. Because it's old. If you're 11, you're old. You know? And, so, and to an 11-year-old, a 17-year-old is old. A 17-year-old to an 11-year-old, a 17-year-old is old and cool. Yeah. Then if you're a 17-year-old, a 30-year-old is old and not cool. <laughs> and if you're a 30-year-old, you think I'm old. That's just weird, but that's how it works. Everybody's got someone who's older or elder than them. So he's writing to us, most of us. He goes, look, if you're an elder, I want you to shepherd the flock that is under your care. And I want you to do that in certain ways. I want you to shepherd the flock like Jesus would shepherd the flock. He says, you're shepherds. See, sometimes we think we get off the hook. It's like, well, I'm, I'm not an elder. I'm not like on the board or, or I'm not a teacher or I'm not some official in the church, so I don't have any responsibility. I come in the door. I listen to the music. I hear the message. I go out. I'm inspired. I was like, oh, I'm going to have a good week. And it's all about me. He says, look, but if you've crossed the line of faith and you've started in your, in your journey, and if there's anybody younger than you in life and anybody who's younger than you in faith, then be a shepherd to them. Be a shepherd to them. He, a shepherd is someone who leads sheep and loves the sheep and cares for the sheep. There are people in your life that are younger than you in the faith. And Peter's saying, look, part of being a follower of Christ, part of being a passionate and productive follower of Christ is finding those people that are younger than you and shepherding them 
and helping them to move forward in their journey with Jesus. He says, but to do that, you have to lower yourself. Number one, you have to take kind of your eyes off yourself and get your eyes onto somebody else. That usually takes lowering yourself. But Peter even goes through a little list of, of statements where he, where he does a, a, a this contrasted to that. He says, not this thing, but this thing. Not that thing, but this thing. He, not but, not but, not but. He gives three of those statements as you go through uh, in, in verse 2. He says, not because you must. Shepherd the people around you. Shepherd those who are coming up behind you. Not because you must, but because you are willing as God wants you to be. You willingly put yourself in a humble position to lead others and to serve others. He says, not not pursuing dishonest gain. You're not going to make a big profit out of doing this, especially a dishonest profit by doing this. He says, I just want you to be eager to serve. A servant is someone who comes in lower for the benefit of others. He says, not lording it over them. Not like, I'm the boss, do what I say. Not lording it over them, but being examples to the flock. I loved watching at Blitz this summer. We had three or four hundred middle schoolers and high schoolers you know, 12 to 17-year-olds who are saying, I'm going to come in, I'm going to shepherd children. It was amazing running around our campus back in June when Blitz was going on. we got these middle school kids, and they're giving their summer to say, I'm going to bless some child who's seven. And, you know, you see that middle school kid on, on most days during the summer, and you're like, oh, I'm not hoping that they shepherd my seven-year-old. And yet they're deliberately in the path to say, I'm going to go lower to give myself for somebody else to help this seven-year-old grow up as a follower of Jesus. That is amazing. And they're just following what Peter said to do. Shepherd the flock that is under your care. If there is someone younger in life or in faith than you, and you are a follower of Jesus, shepherd them with grace and mercy and God's truth. Lead them, care for them, love them. Take a step lower and move forward on the path of Christ with somebody else alongside of you. That's our calling. He goes, that's how transformation happens in your life. If you ever talk to a teacher in our Kids Fest program, they will tell you, That they learn more than the children do. Why? Because they're leading. You want to be transformed as a follower of Christ? Lead somebody else. You will learn more than they do. You you will have to. That's just what happens. He says that's the path for elders. And then he says there's also a path for youngers. Verse 5. He says, in the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. So here's the path for those who are younger. He goes, go lower. Now, if you were with us a couple weeks ago, we were looking at chapter 3, you you might remember that's a very similar phrase. It sounds like a rerun from chapter 3. Back in chapter 3, it said, wives, in the same way, submit to your husbands. And husbands, in the same ways, be considerate, considerate as you live with your wives. In the same way. And now it goes back to the same phrase. In the same way, submit yourselves to one another. You who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. 
It's a process of going lower. He's just saying, hey, some of you are younger. How many of you are younger? Do I have to start over again today? Yeah, how many, how many of you are younger? Yeah, you, there's only one person who's not the younger here because we're all got somebody who's older than us. And he says, look, I want you to put yourself under. I want you to submit to or stand under someone who's your elder. In other words, lower yourself to follow after somebody else who's ahead of you on the path. If someone's older than you in life and older than you in faith, then put yourself under them to learn from them. That's the path to transformation. If you want to be like Jesus, go lower. He goes, that's what it's like to be younger in the faith. And then he says, you know, maybe I've missed somebody in here. We talked about the elders and we talked about the youngers and maybe I've missed somebody. So he goes, let me give you a path for everybody. Going on in verse 5, he says, all of you. Which ones of you are all of you? We're about 80% there. Getting close. He says, all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another. Path for everybody. Go lower. He says, I want you to clothe yourselves with humility. I want you to put on Humility, not, not like pretending, but, but put it on, wear it, wear humility in your life. That's the calling and the process of becoming like Jesus. Do you remember Mr. Rogers? Most of you remember Mr. Rogers? I think I have a picture of him here. Yeah, that's a guy, right? What do you know about Mr. Rogers? He wears sweaters. That's it. That's what, that's what you know about him. I, so Mr. Rogers kind of came into his prime when I was like in my early teens or I was in that mocking stage. So I'm like, why does he change his clothes at the beginning of every program? Why doesn't he do something different? Why doesn't he do something new? Why does he always have to change his clothes? We know he wears sweaters. What's the deal? You know, I so saw I'm like, I don't really get the whole sweater thing and putting the tennis shoes on and all, you know, I didn't get all that stuff. Although Mr. Rogers started a whole trend of celebrities wearing cardigans. See, even James Bond wears cardigans because Mr. Rogers. Uh, see, Mr. Rogers right there. So I, I don't know what was in Mr. Rogers' head, and I don't know how much you know about him. Uh, I do know that he was an ordained Presbyterian minister and Christ follower, so that's interesting. But I wonder if he didn't just understand that there's a daily process of putting something on. And there's a daily process he wanted to show children that were watching his show. There's a daily process of putting on your shoes. There's a daily process of putting on your sweater. And he put on that sweater every single day of his working life. Every day, every day, every day. He put on that sweater so often that it became his trademark. It's how you know him. Do that with humility. Put it on every single morning, every single morning. Put it on, put it on. Today, I'm going to serve somebody else. Put it on. If you put it on every single day, after a while, it will become your trademark. It will be who you are, and it will be who you are known as. And it will become you. All of you, clothe yourselves 
with humility. Put it on like a sweater every day. I wonder if Mr. Rogers didn't know that it wasn't just a sweater that he, that he was putting on. He seemed to be a humble man. Maybe he was putting on humility himself every day. One of the things I'm grateful for about the Apostle Peter was that he learned this process. He learned to love meekness. He learned to put on humility. And we made a lot of fun of Peter over the summer. I'm going to regret it. But Peter learned. And transformation came into his life. By the end of his life, he was not the same as he was at the beginning of his time with Jesus. He grew, he changed, he went lower, and it transformed him. There's a story in Acts chapter 15 that I won't read for you, but you can look it up and read it later. Uh, It's a fascinating story. The Apostle Paul, not Peter, the Apostle Paul was making his way around the Roman Empire, and he was bringing the gospel to all these cities and and places around the Roman Empire, around the Mediterranean Sea, uh, north of the Mediterranean Sea. And he's bringing the good news to them, and they would come back. So he'd go out on a mission trip, and he'd come back to his home base, which was a city called Antioch in what is now the area of Syria. And he'd go out on a mission trip and he'd come back and he'd go out and he'd come back. And one time when he came back to Antioch, there were some people that had come in who were Christians, but they were Jewish Christians. And they believed that you not only had to receive Christ by grace, but you had to live out the law. And if you didn't carry out the law, then then that grace from Jesus didn't really help you a whole lot. was kind of their theory. And they knew that Paul, when he was going out traveling around with his missionary gospel message, they knew that he was preaching a gospel of only grace. He said to the Gentiles all over the Roman Empire, you don't have to follow the law, just follow Christ by grace through faith. That's it. And these Jewish Christians back in Antioch, they said, no, that's not how it goes. And they had a pretty big disagreement there. And so they decided to go up to Jerusalem to the, where, the, where the rest of the apostles were living. And they, and they said, we need you to, to you know, do a message check on this. We want to make sure that the message that Paul is giving is accurate. And so they bring Paul up to Jerusalem and he meets with the council of the church elders, like the official ones. And they hear the stories of how many people are putting their faith in Christ around the Roman Empire and all the miraculous things that God is doing through his gospel message as it goes out. And then these Jewish Christians said, yeah, that's all fine. That's all exciting, except they have to follow the law. And now they're sort of at an impasse, and they don't know what they're going to do. And that's when Peter speaks up on behalf of Paul and on behalf of Paul's gospel. Now, you would say, because it's 2,000 years later, you would say, well, of course he did, because they're preaching the same message. Well, that makes sense from our perspective. might not have made as much sense from their perspective. We don't know a lot about Paul and Peter's relationship with one another, but we know they didn't, they didn't spend very much time together, maybe a matter of three weeks. That may have been all the time that they spent together. And certainly they were cordial to one another. Certainly they were appreciative of one another and what the calling that God had given to them was. But it's possible that they weren't even really friends. I mean, you can imagine that maybe Paul and Peter were rivals. And, you know, you, you might spiritualize and go, no, they weren't rivals. They were apostles. They, they never did anything wrong. They got it all together. They were, they were fine. Maybe. 
But what was the last thing that Peter was talking about on the night that Jesus was arrested and crucified the next day? What was the last conversation Peter was having with the other disciples? We just saw it last week. Who's the best? Who's the greatest disciple? And what's Peter saying? I am. Do you think that stuff gets rooted out just because Jesus rose from the grave? Did it get rooted out from you? I mean, that's in here. That kind of stuff is in here. That competitive drive is in here. You think it went away for Peter? Not unless he was transformed. Not unless the power of the resurrection acted on his life by him going lower to put himself in a spot where Jesus could actually shape him and change him. And so when Paul was brought down into Jerusalem, Peter could have said, about time that guy got a little comeuppance. About time he got called on the carpet. I mean, the whole, the whole story of the book of Acts is all about Peter up through chapter 9. Then this guy, Paul, gets converted and everything switches over to him. Now in chapter 15, Paul's being called to account for the message that he's giving that is by faith through, it is by grace through faith alone, not by following the law, that you come to Jesus. And Peter is the one who speaks up on Paul's behalf and says, Friends, that is the gospel. He says, you remember when Gentiles first came to faith in Christ through an opportunity that God gave to me. And God didn't require anything else of those Gentiles other than to believe in Jesus, to trust in him. And now the message that Paul is preaching is the message of the gospel. We're adding nothing to it. And Peter lowered himself to hold up Paul and Paul's message about Jesus. Because by this time in his life, transformation had come. It was still coming for sure, but it had come in his life. And Peter was a changed man. And he knew that to become a passionate and productive follower of Jesus, you have to go lower. You have to stand under somebody else, which is what submission means. You have to stand under somebody else to lift them up. And you know what's remarkable about the story of Peter? Acts 15 is the last time his name is mentioned in the book of Acts. And some will say, well, I don't want to disappear. If I stand under somebody else, if I submit to somebody else, if I humble myself before somebody else, I'm going to disappear. Well, Peter is not mentioned again in the book of Acts, but he does become the bishop of Rome. He was not abandoned by Christ for what he did. He didn't disappear from the story for what he did. He just moved into the next thing that God had for him because he knew it wasn't about him. It was about Jesus. And if you want to become like Jesus, you have to go lower. Why is that? Why does it happen that way? It happens because of verse, the end of verse 5 where Peter writes, because God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. 
God opposes the proud. Literally, it means God arranges himself against the proud. If you've been here at Lakeside over the last few months and you've been hearing some of my journey of my own uh, wrestling with uh, faith and sin and choices and personality and different things like that, uh, you'll remember that I am a perfectionist. One of my pieces of brokenness is that I'm a perfectionist. The number one trait of a perfectionist is pride. And Peter says, God opposes the proud. The only path to transformation as a follower of Jesus is to go lower. But it is an effective path. It is not a guess. It's not a hope. It is an effective path. Why? Because of the next statement. But God shows favor to the humble. Literally, God gives grace to the humble. We talk in church sometimes about this, like a definition of grace. We go, grace is undeserved favor. You know, what's grace? It's undeserved favor. It's like favor from God that you couldn't, you couldn't earn, you couldn't work for it, you couldn't ask for it, you can't demand it. It's undeserved favor. That's grace. And so we go, there's nothing you can do to earn it. And, and yet here Peter says, and God gives grace to one particular class of people. Who? The humble. There is something you can do to receive grace. After all, it is to humble yourself and to acknowledge I have nothing to give. I have nothing to use to gain what I want. I humble myself. I open my hands, I choose to serve, and I go lower. Because God arranges himself against the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. So Peter says, humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. And in the right time, he will lift you up. That's exactly what Peter found in his life. And that's why that's what he writes to us. May it be so for us. Father in heaven, thank you for Jesus. Lord, he displayed this for us perfectly, beautifully. When he left heaven and came to earth and was numbered among criminals here on earth and died on a cross... He showed beautifully what it looks like to go lower, to give himself for others. Lord, Father, would you lead us in that same path? That's where we want to be. It's a little frightening because there's risk to it, but Lord, we think the risk is fully worth it because we're trusting in you. If you're not trustworthy, the risk is great. If you are trustworthy, the risk is zero. Yet it feels costly to give up our self, our life, our ego for the sake of somebody else. But Father, we believe that's the only way to go forward with Jesus. So may we put on humility today. May we put on humility again tomorrow. Not as an act, but as a process of transformation. 
Father, we ask this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.